Good evening, and welcome to the July 2018 edition of Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, summer is upon us, and while the June Pride season has come and gone, there are still two not-to-be-missed events coming up this month in the North Bay. Lazy Bear Weekend happens in just a couple of weeks, followed at the end of August by a brand new Russian River Pride celebration. Roger Jensen from the R3 Hotel was scheduled to be with us tonight to talk about all the details about these two upcoming events, but unfortunately he got struck down this afternoon with laryngitis, and that's not too good for the radio. So instead, we're going to share some basic details about these events, and we're also going to share an interview with one of the performers who will be at Lazy Bear, Matt Elber. He's a talented musician and singer who will be doing two performances over Lazy Bear Weekend. But first, we're going to start tonight with a gorgeous vision. She's a Native American drag queen who gained notoriety for singing her own songs, and especially for her rendition of Sylvester's Mighty Reel. It's going to be a full hour, so stay with us. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, July 22nd, 2018. This is Greg Moralia with your Alpi Radio News for the week of July 22, 2018. Democrats in Congress have filed a bill to outlaw the gay panic defense. This is sometimes used to argue that assailants deserve lighter sentences or even acquittal because they were panicked into committing a violent crime after an LGBT person made an unwanted advance. The Gay and Trans Panic Defense Prohibition Act, which was introduced by U.S. Representative Joseph Kennedy III and Senator Edward Markey, both of Massachusetts, would ban the use of the gay panic defense as a legal defense in federal court. Kennedy told the Washington Blade that admitting you've committed an act of violence against someone upon discovering their LGB or T is not a defense, it's hate. The most infamous case in which gay panic was used as a defense was the murder of college student Matthew Shepard, who was beaten, robbed, and left to die, tied to a fence by two men he met in a bar 20 years ago this October. The killers Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson argued in court that they suffered a moment of insanity when Shepard made a sexual advance toward them. If passed, the ban on gay panic defenses would only exist in federal courts. In state courts, the practice would still be legal, except in those states like California, Rhode Island, and Illinois that have a ban already in place. And in Austin, Texas, a resolution passed during the Episcopal General Convention last Friday has made it possible for same-sex couples to marry in their desired place of worship throughout the U.S. Episcopal Church. The triennial convention took place in Austin, Texas, where support for the change in the church was overwhelming. Before its passage, local authority had jurisdiction over whether or not to perform a same-sex marriage. Now, if the bishop objects to performing the marriage ceremony, they can tap another person to take over. Clergy can still decline to bless or solemnize any marriage, but if the couples live in a diocese where the bishop theologically objects to same-sex marriages, that bishop will, if necessary, contact another one to provide pastoral support to all involved. The group of Sacraments for All People has been pushing this expanded resolution since 2015. And here in California, Governor Jerry Brown signed a bill this week legalizing the establishment of June as LGBT Pride Month, making California apparently the first state with such a statute. The bill was authored by out Assemblymember Evan Lowe. Lowe said California has the largest LGBT population of any state in the union, and the state is home to over 40 LGBT Pride celebrations each year. 
In other states, many governors issue proclamations for Pride Month, but staffers in Lowe's office said they don't know of another one that has established Pride Month by law. On a national level, President Barack Obama proclaimed Pride Month in each of his eight years in office, but his successor Donald Trump has notably failed to do so this year or last. The California bill was co-authored by all members of the California Legislative LGBT Caucus and supported by Equality California and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. For a calendar of LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Well, if you've ever been to a drag show, you know that they can be absolutely a ball. And typically, they involve the performer lip-syncing a song performed by someone else. But our first guest tonight prefers to actually sing her own songs using her own voice. And she made Billboard's Top 25 for her rendition of Sylvester's Mighty Reel. She's a Native American, and her name is Vision. Vision, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Very exciting to have you here. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) And before we get talking about your drag persona, um, one of the things I found that was particularly interesting about your background is you're Native American. Uh, Tell us about your experience growing up and about how you experienced gender. Right. When I, well, growing up in, I was grow I grew up in North Dakota and, um, that was on the Fort Berthold reservation and actually, you know, being native American, it, it was just kind of like, I was in this bubble there and actually I live in Los Angeles now. And so my experience out here is just a little different now with my, um, uh, with how I <laughs> identify as being native American, because growing up, it was kind of something that you know it's my culture that's something that it's every day for me but coming out to los angeles i'm hit with it in the face basically every day (laughs) kind of like i i have to um acknowledge that that that's who i am rather than i don't want to i don't want to like defer or i don't know what the word is but uh i'm i'm spoken to as a hispanic a lot and oh. I don't know, I don't, I don't know Spanish or anything. And so that conversation is always awkward for me. <laughs> yeah. It's just those, those stereotypes, those perceptions that people have and the assumptions that they make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like growing up Native American, it's, um, it's like, a, it's, it's a, it's a different world. You know, we, we are a lot about community and being with each other a lot of times. Like we have a lot of gatherings where we, um, interact with each other and so everyone kind of knows everyone and we have a a way of like acknowledging each other as brother or sister or um the my tribe is 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 like it's like being in a in a very large family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh and i know that a lot of native american tribes uh Mm -hmm. appreciate a two-spirit person Um, and i don't know if that's a tradition that you're that Mm -hmm. you're trying acknowledged or not Mm -hmm. It's really quite refreshing in contrast to what you know our society uh, does and with non heterosexuality and and non gender conforming identities. But talk about the differences that you've experienced. This is my this is my favorite kind of question. In my tribe, we have a lot of other two spirited um, persons, and it's it's not seen as a negative thing. And so a lot of a lot of us, we have a lot of friends or we can, I mean, we, we're associated with a lot of people because, you know, there's kind of an, uh, 
an aura, an aura or something that, that um, people just kind of gravitate to that energy. And the other people that, the other two spirits that I know in my tribe, they're very, I guess, more feminine on the spectrum. Where I, whereas, even though I'm a drag queen, as in the public, you know, I, in my everyday life, I'm very masculine, mm-hmm. I would say. And so it, it's, it's fun because you can go back and forth. And so like, but in today's norm, you know, today the normality is it's becoming accepted a lot more, you know, with gender, gender fluidity and androgyny. It's exciting because uh, having that experience growing up, you know, as a two spirit person where my experience was dealing with um, Christianity and the, uh, the downfalls of, you know, being homosexual, but you know, you don't actually feel that way sometimes. Like I do, I do enjoy women as well, but that's, you know, it's, it's all one kind of spectrum. It's all on the spectrum of uh, gender. Mm -hmm. So do you see yourself being more fluid on that spectrum or do you have some real clarity around identity? I am, I would say I'm fluid. I'm still, I'm still discovering myself. I like to say that we're always on a journey and, you know, there's never going to be something that it's never good to just settle because there's always something else, you know, that life is about an experience. And so if we're going to experience more than, you know, if we're going to experience everything that life has to give us, we should be able to experience that with other people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. And mm-hmm. it's interesting, you know, you talked about growing up in North Dakota in a bubble. When I think mm-hmm. of North Dakota, that doesn't strike me as the t- stereotypical place where someone who is a drag queen, who is <laughs> gender or sexuality fluid would be happy. But now you're living in L.A. Are you in West Hollywood? Um, I, I actually don't live in West Hollywood anymore. I did, um, I did move there when I first moved out here. That was about two years ago, three years ago now. Yeah. And so I'm curious, compare West Hollywood, your experience there, and being comfortable and accepted compared to North Dakota. Which was more difficult? Um, oh, God. Well, the worlds are, de- are definitely completely opposite. Um, there are negatives in, bo- in both. Uh, so, like, I guess being, being gay in North Dakota is, is hard and that's what you are viewed as is you're a homosexual and there's a lot to do with God there. And it's just, it's, it's kind of one of those things that, um, you don't really talk about, but with people, people know it because when I came out at 19, like it wasn't a big shock for everyone, but I, I was able to be more, a little more comfortable because everyone knew that I was, or I knew in my head that everyone knew now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, but coming out here, it's different because the community can be, um, a little in a, in a bubble in a different way because we, we get to where it's a lot of people telling us <laughs> like each other, how our work, how everyone else's world should be. So I don't know. It, it's very interesting. Uh, it's an, it's, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I I can't even imagine that. I mean, but it, but but it, but I'm guessing, you know, that you talked about the comfort you had with your tribe in North Dakota and being embraced mm-hmm. for really both sides of who you are and yet you face some I'm guessing a little bit of 
at least some bias, if not some discrimination <clears throat> or prejudice in L.A. because mm -hmm. of the assumptions about who you really are. Well, yeah, um, being being gender fluid and you know two spirit, it's you're perceived in 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 a way like that is confusing to to people. Um, dating as a drag queen is hard. Uh, a lot of other gay men aren't comfortable with the idea of someone having fingernails <laughs> or something mm -hmm. like that, uh, and so you kind of just have to you know, dance to the beat of your own drum kind of thing, you know, and people will either start to love it or they'll hate it. And the haters, they can eat whatever they want, whatever they've been hating on because I'm on billboard and they're not <laughs> that kind Ex of thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm looking forward to, to getting to that for sure. But so let's start, <laughs> let's start with where, uh, your drag persona came from. Tell us about the birth of vision. Right. The Birth of Vision. That's a good title. Um, well, originally I started as um, Billy Simone, and that was about 11 years ago now. Oh, my God. 2007, I, I, um, I performed at my first Pride, and it was my very first show. And I had, I don't know, I had, I, <laughs> my funny story is I had these, um, these, these toys, these latex toys in my, in my bra as my boobs. And they were the perfect thing, and they were like uh, the perfect size, and they they were they matched each other except for the left one had a light in it. So like every time it shook, <laughs> it kind of went off. <laughs> and so in the middle of, and I am telling you, the left one is bright as <laughs> bright as the day that I'm performing. <laughs> and and so yeah, that was a really good a really good time. That um, but yeah, becoming Vision uh, was a process because. I don't know if you know this. I, I was I was around 700 pounds in 2009, and I actually had gastric bypass, and so that started my my this weight loss journey that ultimately brought me to Vision, and I wanted to reinvent um, my drag and my drag persona because Billy Simone was a, an extra large queen who wore, you know, curtains for dresses and that kind of thing. So and now to go to from that to a Barbie doll kind of aesthetic is it's like breaking my own, um, my, my own wall. I don't know, breaking it down because being that naked on stage, I guess <laughs> is, is a revelation for me. <laughs> yeah. Talk about a transformation on so many different levels. Wow. I mean, that must've really, really been a challenge. I, I can't even, Definitely. Imagine. <laughs> I, I can't even, I can't even fathom that. I'm still um, working on it too. So, well, I mean, congratulations is an understatement for for doing that. So, when you thought about first doing drag, I guess I'm curious. I've never done drag. Um, mm -hmm. My my husband has been trying to get me to do you it. Should try, and try it. it. And <laughs> I think I it. I think I would just look absolutely hideous. That's just all I'm <laughs> going to say about that. But but you know, tell me <laughs> tell me what the impetus. Where did it come from for you? Um, drag. Well. I like to say that I've always been doing drag. <laughs> you know, I was a little boy wearing jellies and putting shirts on as skirts. Like I'd pull them down um, around the neck and just stretch it out. <laughs> <laughs> and, where, and I was like, I, I must have made my mom so angry so many times, but she, I was her only child. So <laughs> she let me, ha let me do it, I guess. And, 
but yeah, like I started playing with makeup. I always played with Barbies. I was always interested in hair. Just everything was like leading up to this moment of being a live singing drag queen, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no. So for you, the part of the vision was always <clears throat> singing live. Definitely. Um, back in North Dakota, that's what I was known for. And I actually, um, I won a pageant there and it's the it was the Miss Dakota Diva pageant. It was the only one because, well, let's not talk about that. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, but yeah, I have the crown still. And, um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, um, that was my talent is, is, has always been singing and I've always, like I started uh, lip syncing, but it, it, I, I didn't really like doing that. And so when I was given the opportunity to start singing live, I took it and I ran like, uh, it's, so it's always been one, a part of my drag aesthetic. So, okay. So mm -hmm. you, as you evolve now into this new you, um, and you wanted to create a new vision of yourself. So I'm assuming that's where the name came from? Yes. Awesome. Um, yeah, and vision actually, um, it extends back to my Native American heritage. Like when we have a, a vision quest, um, originally that's what I wanted to do uh, with the name. And But then I, had, I remembered something when I was young, like a young baby queen. Uh, someone was telling me about coming up with your name and that it should uh, read on the marquee as who you're there to see. So if you see a, a one, a one name wonder like Madonna, Cher, RuPaul, you know who you're getting. So if you see vision on the stage, yeah. Yeah. You know who you're getting. I love mm -hmm. it. And so the first time I'm assuming your family has seen you perform. Yes. Talk Actually, about, I, go ahead. Uh, go, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so, so tell us about that. What was it like the first time that your mom saw you in full drag? Right. Um, yeah, I, I I actually grew up with my, um, my mother was a single mother and, um, she, you know, raised me all my life. She helped me make my first dress. And so, um, uh, performing for the first time I, I, um, I did, uh, I'm every woman and <laughs> I sang it live and I, and it was just, it, it was like probably the first time I had a, like a really good performance. And I think it was the energy that my mother was there knowing that. And, um, yeah, so like, getting getting to perform perform to her and seeing her smile it was it was the joy of my it was one of the highlights of my um drag career for sure well that's terrific i know a lot of people don't have the support of their families and so it's it's really great to hear an example of someone who does and and I, you know i can i can hear in your voice that it, it gives you some some power and some mm -hmm. some inspiration yes and it sounds like you're very particular about the songs that you pick uh, to sing that they have some <laughs> some meaning to you talk about what goes into a song selection right well if right now right right now we're just doing covers and you know mighty real is a um is a song from the 70s so and i wanted to do that song because it connects us um it connects the present with the past and it's basically like a, a re-education or a fostering the children kind of moment where um, the 70s were a really good time for gay culture. And right now we're, we're getting back into that kind of that carefree attitude again. And so um, having these songs, you know, it, it takes that idea of um, 
of you know <laughs> connecting us with the with the past right and it's and it's a really fun song so <laughs> it's a great song and it's a perfect song for pride i typically play it on the show around this time every year it's it's definitely one of my favorites and i like what you said about it being representative of a really good time in our history Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the 80s, you can't <clears throat> say that about, but the 70s really were. That was our first big yes. decade of being out and, and people really uh, enjoying the freedom and the visibility and being mm-hmm. and being very real. And of course, that's yes. what that song is really all about. Um, and you've had some great success with it. You're on the Billboard chart. Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, um, it's, it is really exciting and debuting, you know, above Taylor Swift. <laughs> they... <laughs> It's kind of surreal, and um, it's one of those things that you don't really expect that with a, a cover song. So to have that, you know, have that uh, that text in the morning, you know, you're you debuted on Billboard. <laughs> so I, I'm curious because I don't know how does that come about. You know, you perform a song, you record a song, and get it out there, and then how do you end up on Billboard? Um, I I I think it has a lot to do with like the word of mouth kind of thing like and it has a lot to do with the djs um you know i i worked with i have a remix package on on the actual cover and we worked with uh hector fonseca who's been he has like over 20 uh hits on you know front for excuse me for billboard and he's worked with you know lady gaga beyonce rihanna just everyone and so that having his name behind it, it definitely pushed it into the, you know, uh, it definitely pushed it above. It definitely pushed it into where it's at. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so how do you do your promotion? I mean, you, you have reached some notoriety and success absent a RuPaul experience. Mm-hmm. Um, how did this all come to be? How did you orchestrate it? And, and are you doing this all on your own? No. Uh, well, you know, uh, it's, a good team you know i met a lot of i met a lot of the right people uh my manager for was um leo madrid and he he worked with uh you know mel b from the spice girls um jessica Sutta from the pussycat dolls and he just kind of it, it it all kind of like i met him and it all just kind of fell into place kind of thing and so it has a lot to do with 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 uh with Leo and definitely a lot of belief um, behind a lot of the people that we meet. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, and just getting the, the song out there, it really does like connect with people. And that's why I'm, I'm here with you now. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it, yes, yes. It's, and it's fantastic. And the music video is fun as well. Mm-hmm. Talk about that process and what it was like to create it. Oh, the video is fun. <laughs> Uh, we shot it over two days in West Hollywood. Um, it was shot in Barton. Uh, it's this little, it's this, it, it's kind of like a New York vibe bar. It, it's like a brick and mortar scene there. And so it's really cute. And we kind of, the idea of the, the video was that it's taking off of the idea of uh, every gay boy's first experience. And, you know, like, when you're first coming out and then you're first going out into the bar. And so like you see vision at the end of the end of the bar, bar queen ordering a drink, you know, and then the scene starts and we're kind of like 
walk you through the club and it's like a VIP area and there's the stage and there's the back room that's all lit up or <laughs> the dark room, that kind of thing. So it's, it, it's, it's that idea of just um, your first dive into going out as a gay man. And so, like, and then having actually like, um, you know, RuPaul, some RuPaul girls in there, like Manila Luzon and Mariah Paris Balenciaga. Um, we also had Cassandra Cass, who's um, a wonderful trans model who uh, uh, she has, she's on the show on Bravo. I can't, I, I can't remember the title off my head right now. I'm sorry about that. But uh, yeah, it's just having a lot of um, um, a good team and just a good time. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, that's the most important thing. You got to love what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, for, yeah. sh- for sure. So where are some of the really fun places you've been able to perform that stand out to you as being the most memorable? Right. Um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of opportunity to perform on some big stages, like, especially with the Prides. Like last year was uh, a really good, I guess it was, I would call it a tour because it was a few different cities that we went to and performing, you know, downtown L.A., performing in West Hollywood for these huge prides, it's like, it's hard to, um, it's hard to compare them because, you know, each, each show is, it's, is fun, but, um, and each show has its, its moments. So, uh, just being on these big stages is, is, is all I can ask for. I guess. Yeah. That's, well, that's really, that's really, really <clears throat> exciting. And, and I agree with you. I think each pride while it may have a common theme, is a very different experience. Um, Mm -hmm. We have a very small town, kind of a funky pride here up in Sonoma County, and it's equally fun to go to that as it is to go to San Francisco to the big sort of mega party. You know, I I enjoy smaller um, celebrations because, like, well, like, I'm from North Dakota, and so I'm used to that kind of down-home experience. And so when I'm in this environment, like, um, of L.A. pride, where you have to stand... Even if you're if you have a VIP wristband, you still have to stand for an hour in that VIP line kind of thing. So like, um, just having that experience, like, of being able to compare uh, the two worlds is is fun as well. <laughs> yep, yep, for sure. So you've had obviously a lot of experience in Pride. You have a lot of pride in yourself. In 2018, for you, what are Pride celebrations all about? I think this year it's going to be even more important to be loud and proud and even more of who you are. Um, they're like, we're in a world that's not, uh, it's kind of like we're going backwards again and we were, we were making so much progress. So I think in order to maintain the progress, we really have to uh, be louder than we were before, even more so, and even more proud and, uh, and just, I think, I think if everyone just stepped out in high heels, <laughs> we'd all get over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and I think Sylvester would probably say the same thing if he were alive today. Mm-hmm. Bless, uh, you know, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So for all those young aspiring drag queens out there, um, what advice do you have for them? For the aspiring drag queens. For all those those um, men out there who have never done drag before, who mm-hmm. are maybe thinking about it, and for those young people who, you know, 
have well, a diva inside them, talk to them. Definitely. Well, uh, I would say practice, um, pay your dues, uh, and just have fun because that's what drag is about. It's not, it's not a competition. It's not about looking the fiercest. It's not about sounding the best. It's about celebrating life and dressing it up and making it even larger than that. When so, you... you know, yeah. So as, so if you're a drag queen and you're a diva at heart, be that diva and, and do your thing. <laughs> Let her out or, yes. hi, or him out or him. Yeah. Uh, when you say pay your dues, tell me more about that. Pay your dues. Um, that's kind of a thing like it, it has kind of a, a negative connotation to it, but it's, um, it's more so like, you know, do the grind work kind of, uh, when I started, I had to drive 300 miles across the state to, <laughs> to do a show for five bucks. And it's that kind of thing where you, um, you're constantly learning when you're doing drag. And so if you're, if you're paying your dues, you know, you're going to be constantly learning as well. Okay. Makes, yeah. And makes, so, makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. So where can people go to follow you to see some of your performances and stay in touch? Mm-hmm. Well, you can see me. Um, I mean, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Vision Official. And yeah, just keep it up. And right now we're forming the next tour. It's coming up in, um, you know, Pride season is is coming up really quick. So, <laughs> so as you think we'll about, be, I'll be announcing the, the dates soon. So I'm not, we're not, I'm not too sure about it right now. Okay. So but yeah. Facebook and then do you have a website? Um, I, I actually don't, I don't right now. So it's Facebook is my main hub right now. Okay. And that's where you can find, um, a lot of my content. And then YouTube has the videos. You can look those up. Um, with the title and then if you just put vision and it's vision with a Z. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. It is. And we will have links to uh, the Facebook page and at least to the YouTube page on our own website at outbeatnews.com. You can just go there Yay. and check out visions video and the top 24 billboard hit mighty real. <laughs> Love it. Yay. Go today. <laughs> you bet. Vision, it's been wonderful talking with you. Happy Pride to you, and thanks for stopping in and sharing your story. Thank you so much. It was a really, I had a really good time, Greg. Thank you. Sylvester first performed Mighty Real 40 years ago this year. The song became an anthem, and four decades later, still has an important message in our community. Now, we can't show you the video, obviously, on the radio, but we can certainly play you the song. So here's Vision singing Mighty Real.
In 2012, the drug company Gilead got FDA approval to market the drug Truvada as a pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. In essence, a way to block an HIV infection from being transmitted from someone who is positive to someone who's negative. Use of Truvada has been marketed almost exclusively in the gay community until now. This summer, Gilead launched a new marketing campaign for the use of PrEP targeting everyone who's having sex, no matter how they identify. Check it out. I'm on the pill. I'm on the pill. I'm on the pill. I'm on the pill, too. But it's not birth control. It's Truvada for PrEP, a once-daily prescription medicine for adults that, when taken every day, along with using safer sex practices, can help lower my chances of getting HIV through sex. I use condoms, but I talked to my doctor about doing more. He said that because I had a higher chance of getting HIV through sex, Truvada for PrEP could be an option for me. She also told me that Truvada alone may not keep me from getting HIV, and it does not prevent other STIs or pregnancy. You must be HIV negative to take Truvada for PrEP, so you need to get tested for HIV immediately before and at least every three months while taking Truvada. I wanted to know about all of my prevention options, so I asked my doctor about Truvada for PrEP. If you think you were exposed to HIV or have flu-like symptoms, Tell your doctor right away. They may do more tests to confirm you are still HIV negative. Serious side effects can occur, including kidney problems, kidney failure, and bone problems, which may lead to fractures. Rare life-threatening side effects include a buildup of lactic acid and liver problems. Tell your doctor about all the medicines you take. If you are pregnant or breastfeeding, or if you have kidney, bone, or liver problems, including hepatitis. If you have hepatitis B, do not stop taking Truvada without talking to your doctor. Common side effects include stomach pain, headache, and weight loss. Ask your doctor about your risk of getting HIV and if Truvada for PrEP may be right for you. I wanted to do more. That's why I'm on that pill. Truvada for PrEP. If you haven't seen the ad yet on television, you can find it on YouTube. And I think it does a really good job of reaching out to a wide range of people, particularly those groups currently experiencing rising numbers of new HIV infections. If you'd like to learn more about PrEP and how to access Truvada yourself... You can contact face-to-face right here in Santa Rosa at their website, f2f.org, or at Strut in San Francisco. They provide screening and prescriptions through Truvada in just 90 minutes. You can learn more at strutsf.org. Okay, back to talk about some summer fun. We're really fortunate here in the North Bay to have great LGBTQ community events happening throughout the year, and this summer's no exception. This year's annual Lazy Bear Weekend, or should I say week, starts on August 1st and runs through the 6th, just a couple weeks from now. Now, the event was started by Harry Litt back in the 1990s, and each year's events includes pool parties, wine-tasting events, group dinners, even an art class of sorts. Bears and their cubs, otters and bear chasers from all over the country come to Guerneville to enjoy the summertime fun. This year, gay singer-songwriter Matt Albert will be here doing two performances, during Lazy Bear Week. Matt's a singer-songwriter who is out and proud and has several hit songs, including End of the World and Handsome Man. He's a wonderfully talented vocalist who we chatted with last fall in Denver. Matt, welcome to Outbeat Radio. Uh, My pleasure to be here. Well, we met after the Matthew Shepard Foundation annual gala, Uh, but let's start out telling us a little bit about how Matt's story impacted your life. Um, I first heard Matt's name uh, the day the news broke about his attack. Uh, I was, I think I was 23, and I had just moved to San Francisco from the Midwest. Um, So I was just sort of discovering what it was like to feel normal walking around uh, as a gay man. Mm -hmm. 
San Francisco, and it felt amazing. You know, I had had uh, just a couple of months there. Um, you know, it was a little overwhelming, uh, a kid from Kansas mm. <laughs> landing on San Francisco. A little culture uh, shock. It was in some of the best ways, uh, actually. And um, yeah, I had just been hired to sing in a wonderful singing group called Chanticleer. Um, and my friend, uh, my now friend, my then boss, Craig Hella Johnson, uh, was the director of the group. And I remember the news broke that morning and I felt stunned very much the same feeling when the Twin Towers uh, fell. Mm. And I remember walking to work and um, Craig was the first person I told, my boss. And we stood there and we were rehearsing in a church and we just stood there uh, looking at each other and we couldn't we couldn't believe the news. Um, and I think it was in that moment, it hit me, I just looked at him, I said, you know, his name was Matt. And we both just sort of um, wept together mm-hmm. for the loss of a guy we didn't even know, you know. Wow, 18 years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long, because it seems in many ways like it was just yesterday. It really, I can, I can remember that moment quite vividly. Uh, it, was, it was a wake-up call to both of us that there is a lot of work to do in the world um, to explain who we are. Um, or who I am. Yeah, no kidding. Well, you grew up in a pretty conservative religious family. I remember you talking a lot about that. Uh, how did that impact your ability to come out? Um, it presented some challenges. <laughs> uh, I, we, we actually, our, our family never went to church. Um, we started going to church, uh, it wasn't until I was in high school. Uh, my family went through a divorce and um, I think my mom thought it would bring us some stability if we mm-hmm. went to church. And I think she probably needed some support herself for all the things she was going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a good experience for her in many ways. Um, and f- in many ways it was for me too. I found a youth group and um, yeah, as kind of a weirdo kid that was a choir geek, it was kind of nice to have a built-in group of people that were supposed to like you. So I went every week and when they found out I could sing, uh, they started put, you know asking me to sing in church um, and I was shown a lot of you know, affection and, uh, you know, positive reinforcement. They're like, wow, you know, you really have a talent. And they started sort of grooming me for the idea that, you know, I think, you know, they told me God is calling you to the ministry. Mm. And that's a very powerful thing to hear when you're 15. Uh, sure. <laughs> and it, in many ways, I, I felt like that was true. I think the kind of ministry they had in mind isn't quite uh, what it's turned out to be, <laughs> uh, for for several years, basically all of high school, I I, I bought hook, line, and sinker what they taught, um, and much of it was was good to be honest. Uh, they were teaching you know to not to lie to people, to treat people with uh, you know to tell the truth, to be a good son and uh, friend. The problem was that there was a whole slew of bad stuff that went along with that. Um, and I, f- I found that out. I remember being shocked the day I heard my first anti-gay sermon because I had been in the youth group for um, maybe a whole semester of school. And I, you know, just like ignorance is bliss, I guess you're right. I, I, I remember sitting in that feeling that moment. I was like, oh, they're talking about me. Right. Um, and that's and that's when the terror sort of began. Um, I believed what they said. I believed that. um 
you know, it always felt wrong to be gay because I learned that way before I got to church that that wasn't acceptable. Mm-hmm. So the the teaching was really it's really interesting how it works because it plays upon an existing guilt and shame and then gives a reason for it. Um, and I believe the reason, unfortunately, and it took several years, uh, maybe even to this day, to still shed that belief. Wow. Wow. So did, did you find that music provided you with an outlet to be able to sort of grapple with that fear and shame? Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, you know, going to high school um, as a, you know, a little choir geek, I loved choir. Um, I loved every kind of choir. Choir was the only place I felt normal, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in a choir that was outside of school. It was an extracurricular choir called the St. Louis Children's Choirs. And music was a place that I could let my spirit fly. Um, it didn't matter if you were cool or not. It just mattered if you were a good, good in the choir. If you were, if you showed up and worked hard, then you were respected. Um, and yeah, I started writing songs even in high school. My first songs were praise songs. Um, I led the worship, the worship team. Uh, after college, I went on to join a mega church that had you know a live band and big video screens and sort of this very kind of progressive modern way of doing church. Um, what wasn't progressive or modern was the doctrine behind um, whether or not, you know, gay people were moral people. Um, so uh, it took me a long time to realize this world doesn't want me there. Um, I'm not really welcome here unless I'm willing to renounce who I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, thankfully, I decided that was the right choice uh, to leave, uh, not to renounce who I am, but to rather accept it. Right. And, and say, look, uh, I think life's going to be way better if I just say, this is who I am, and let's start again. A lot of kids don't get that uh, choice. They don't, they don't really make it that far, unfortunately. Right, right. Well, and we've talked, I don't know, several times on this show, uh, talking with different affirming religious leaders uh, about their different different interpretations of faith and about how to reconcile faith with who you are. I mean, I think it becomes a real struggle. Many people are born into a faith and then later on discover their non-heterosexuality or gender identity and then are faced with a choice of either, you know, renouncing who they are or renouncing their faith and abandoning it altogether. And I've always felt that's tragic. Give some advice to folks, particularly our young listeners, who may find themselves in that position. How do you reconcile? Oh, man. Um, You know, I began the process by, you know, my first, the first thing that felt wrong inside me, I said, well, they said God said this, and that doesn't feel right. What do I do with that? And thankfully, other people have asked that question. (laughs) Um, And I found, um, I found some stories uh, that really helped me. The first story I read was a a book by, um, it's called Stranger at the Gate, and it's by a, a man named Mel White. And Mel tells a story about um, growing up in the same world I did. He went a little further, though. He found a wife and decided to have children and made a family. And it wasn't until after he tried all of that that he said, you know, I've tried it all and I'm still gay. So he, he came out. But Mel was kind of a, a rather interesting guy. He was a, an incredible writer and producer. And um, he worked with some pretty big names in um, Christian faith. Uh, you know, he wrote Pat Robertson's autobiography. He wrote Jerry Falwell's autobiography. He he was friends with all these guys that were sort of preaching a very, you know, 
extreme doctrine. And he made it his life's mission to say, hey, Jerry, hey, Pat, hey, Christian Wright, listen, I respect your right to believe whatever you want to believe. It's a free country, but the things you're teaching are really hurting people. Mm -hmm. um, and here's how, here's the effects. Um, so I joined Mel and we went and met Jerry Falwell um, one fall day. We brought 200 of us and we met 200 of his, his uh, students and we had a summit. Wow. And he said, hey, you know, you're preaching about gay people. We thought you might want to meet some. Um, and we told our stories. And it was a powerful day, man. I bet. Yeah. Um, we went to church at Jerry's church that Sunday. And he had us stand and recognized us. And, um, you know, he didn't go on to stop preaching that, unfortunately. Um, but I felt like, hey, this is the kind of work that needs to be done. We have to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Took a lot of guts. On both sides, yeah. actually. Jerry, Jerry Falwell and his church were protested by Fred Phelps, um, the fellow who uh, likes to bring out his family and children and held up those terrible signs. And we thought they were protesting us. <laughs> they were protesting Jerry for meeting with us, um, those sinners, you know. Um, it does take a lot of guts to, to, to put beliefs down and to value each other more. Mm-hmm. Well, and the good news is that there are more and more affirming churches and more and more affirming interpretations of various faiths that are welcoming LGBT people. And so, you know, hopefully on a day like today, people will be thinking about that and, you know, looking for ways to release the struggle that they've had. Let's get back to your musical career for a second. Talk about a couple of the high points for you. What's, what's really stood out so far in your career? Oh, gosh, it... It stands out to me that I can even do this as a job. <laughs> um, I started writing songs um, about relationships I was in, uh, and you know, I I bought a computer and some microphones and hired a friend to show me how to plug them all in, and started banging my head against the equipment. Um, you know, in a couple of years, I had my first record with a lot of help, and um, you know, that was in. 2005. So, uh, you know, it's been a, about a 10 year journey now. And now my full time job is taking my guitar on plane and trains and automobiles and singing my gay love songs for whoever will listen. So the entire thing's a high point <laughs> to me. How fantastic. Uh, Getting to do what you're really passionate about. I mean, that's that's a uh, real gift. It really is. I, I owe it to anyone who's ever bought a ticket or a record. So awesome. And you've got a song for the season uh, that's pretty special to you. Tell us about it before we listen. Sure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of a band called The Roaches. Um, it's three sisters um, with a last name Roach. And uh, they released a song. Terry Roach wrote it. Um, it's called Star of Wonder. Um, it's not the hymn. It's a different song. And it takes a, a twist on the star in the sky story. And uh, I fell in love with it and wrote to Terry. I said, hey, Terry, you know, can I can I cover your song? And, um, you know, and if anybody wants to buy it, can we, you know, can we donate the proceeds to um, benefit, you know, young people who are trying to find their way off the street? And she wrote right back and said, yes, please, please uh, feel free to cover it. So it's, you know, it's called Star of Wonder.
Star of wonder in the heavens Wonder what you want of me Should I follow you tonight Star of wonder Star of wonder I am just a lonely shepherd Watching from a distant hill Why do you appear to me? Star of wonder If you shepherd on the hill What would make her leave her flock For surely she must love them still Star of wonder in the heavens Are you just a shining star or should I follow you tonight star of wonder star of Amazing song. Absolutely amazing, Matt. Uh, tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your music. Oh, well, yeah, you can just find me on the web at Matt Alber. That's M-A-T-T-A-L-B-E-R.com. Great. And if you missed that link, we'll have it on our own website at OutBeatNews.com. You can just click there and take a listen to Matt's amazing music. Well, Matt, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Right back at you, Craig. Matt Alber will be performing live Friday night, August 3rd at the Timberline Lodge in Guerneville, and then again on Saturday, August 4th at the River Theater in Guerneville. You can learn more about Matt's performances and all the events scheduled for this year's Lazy Bear Weekend at lazybearweekend.org. Just click on events at the top of the page. Now, before we go tonight, a reminder that registration is currently underway for fall courses in LGBT studies, both at Santa Rosa JC and Napa Valley College. If you've ever wanted to learn more about LGBTQ history, now's your chance. At Napa Valley College, the LGBT 120 course, Introduction to LGBT Studies, will meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 11 a.m. starting on August 14th. 
and you can register right now at napavalley.edu. And for a study of LGBT literature, Santa Rosa JC is offering English 36, LGBT arts and literature. This class will take place on Mondays at 6 p.m. starting on August 20th. You can register right now at santarosa.edu. And if you want to learn more about that particular class, be sure to tune in next Sunday night to Outbeat Radio and Outbeat Extra with Gary Carnavelli. He'll be here talking with two women who will be teaching some of these classes. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. I'll be back in August with another edition of Outbeat News in Depth. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I give it up to Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round, and you can't find a fighter. But I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. And I rise up, I rise like the day, I rise up, I rise unafraid, I rise up, and I do it a thousand times again. And I rise up, I like the waves, I rise up, in spite of the ache, I rise up, and I Silence is quiet, and it feels like it's getting hard to breathe. And I know you feel like dying, but I promise we would take the world to its feet. Move, I won't take, bring it to its feet.